0: Welcome to Inspired by Purpose. Each week, we roll out episodes of successful, purpose-inspired entrepreneurs to inspire and empower you. My name is Dr. Ozzy Jankovic, and I believe that purpose is what inspires us to make our greatest impact. I'm so grateful that you're here. Now let's get started. Today on the podcast, we have spiritual entrepreneur Moshe Gersht. He's a Wall Street Journal and USA Today best-selling author. He's a spiritual teacher, TEDx, and inspirational speaker. After his career as a professional rock musician took off, he had a moment of awakening, left the world of rock, and entered the world of spirituality. He speaks about his transformation and some of the spiritual practices that have guided him to becoming a spiritual teacher and a spiritual entrepreneur. We're also going to get into some of Moshe's practical business advice, including how he wrote not one but two books and how he went about becoming a best-selling author. You're also going to hear a fascinating practice of the power of forgiveness. And I've heard about forgiveness spoken about in a number of different ways, but the way that Moshe presents it in this episode is fascinating. He actually experienced a profound transformation after he implemented this forgiveness practice in his own life. I was so moved by it and I am definitely going to implement this into my life as well. Before we bring on Moshe, I want to remind you about our upcoming Inspired by Purpose launch giveaway. It's happening on March 16th, and you can enter to win a copy of my book, Beyond All Things, a $150 gift card to Amazon, and a Purpose Process business and life coaching package with me, valued at $1,350. Visit drazzy.co backslash giveaway, or click the link in the show notes when you finish listening to this episode. With nothing further, I am so excited to bring on Moshe Gersht. Moshe Gersh, I'm so excited to be here with you and do this interview with you today. Welcome to Inspired by Purpose.
1: Thank you, Hazi. It's so good to be here.
0: It is such a pleasure to have you. Well, I've been following your journey over the past several years and watching as you have shared your wisdom with a global audience with a gorgeous book you have spoken at TED, you have been on international speaking tours, and you are lighting up this world one soul at a time every single day. So let's start out with your story and how you got inspired to do the work that you're doing.
1: Well, first of all, thank you. I appreciate all those kind things you said. I'm just trying to have a good time and help people along the way. So if it's doing well, so that makes me feel good. I think when I try to sum up this Story. I think I've always been following what I'm called towards and what I feel excited by. And so in high school, that was music. I was probably 10 years old when Weezer's Blue album came out, and there was a song on that album called Buddy Holly, and there was this small little guitar solo. And at the time I had been playing classical piano for about five years. And it was the first time I heard an electric guitar. And I heard that. And in that moment, my entire life changed. I was like, that's what I want to do. Whatever that happened in that moment in that guitar solo, I have to get a guitar. All my entire teenage years were spent living, writing, breathing music. That was everything. After high school, my family moved to Israel when I was 18. I stayed in LA to pursue a career in music. I was obsessed with that when I was a teenager. It was my everything. I was spent a lot of time in different recording studios. And when my parents left, they had asked me uh, if if I'd either come with them to Israel or go to college. And I said, well, I want to pursue this music thing. And they gave me somewhat of an ultimatum. And they said, look, we'll support you if you get signed to a record label. But if not, please do something with your life. <laughs> And something like four or five months after they'd left, we had a, a really amazing, seemingly chance opportunity, but clearly a divine hand experience that led us to meeting what was going to be a record label and we signed with them. And then we started touring the country and we started putting out an album and then we were on the radio and it was great. It was really a world of a time. And all of that culminated in one moment where i started having another thought about what life was supposed to be about and somebody asked me what my definition of success was and i never thought about what a successful life looked like i didn't do much reading at the time i didn't see myself as an intellectual i didn't see myself as somebody deep I was very In flow and music and friends and social, that's all that matters. Okay. I
0: want to pause here for a second because here you were, you got signed by the record label, you're doing what you're doing. And then suddenly someone asks you, Moshe, what is your definition of success?
1: Yes. Yeah. And I don't know if this individual knows how big it was in my life. Well, in the moment I, I asked him what he meant. He said, well, when is success? And I think I told him to grab another beer, like go leave me alone. you're 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 killing my night or you're ruining my buzz. <laughs> it was at it was at a record release party. We were having a really great time. But the next morning I woke up, and the question still burned in me like a fever. I couldn't shake it. It was like, well, when is that? When is success? And um, it drove me to try to get a metric as what what does that look like? And I started doing some research. I made a list of the top 10 or 20 of my favorite artists. And I tried to figure out, okay, how many singles do you have to have? And how many number ones do you have to have? And how many music videos do you have to have? And how many tours are they on? And where, and how many houses do they have? And how much money do they make? And I was trying to make a list of like, then I'll know what success is. Like I'll figure out like a, a system. Then I can
0: see the spreadsheet that you made so clearly right now.
1: <laughs> yeah, it was like so clear during that research period. I was finding without fail, all of these people that I had looked up to, either one or more of the people in their groups were suffering majorly as a result of this type of lifestyle. There was like a lot of suffering that people were going through. As you can imagine, the rock and roll industry. Exactly. Whether it was addiction to something somewhere, lots of anxiety and depression, and not stable home lives. I'm very much a family guy. I knew I wanted to have a family when I got older and a stable family was important. And you're on the road six to 10 months out of the year. And so the home dynamic wasn't the type of dynamic I envisioned for myself. And I saw that people were going through a hard time when I was on tour. A lot of these guys were doing lots of drugs and drinking lots of alcohol to push away a lot of pain. And so when the, that question came at the same time as I'm seeing things on tour and all of a sudden my, my worldview opened up and I was like, just because you're successful at something, can you still fail at life, right?
0: Just because you're successful at something, can you still fail at life? That's powerful. So you had this split screen moment where you saw yourself going down this quote unquote successful path of stardom or this other image of family life. And I have to share with our audience that I was at your home once, you and your kids were singing and dancing so loud, you didn't hear the doorbell ring. And when I came in, everybody was happy and singing and dancing. So obviously, you went the direction of family after you saw those choices.
1: Family was the anchor behind what I saw and what was going wrong with with the career path but I was also still trying to figure out what success was and if if this path wasn't the right path so then it got me thinking broader which is what is success what does it mean to live a successful life because for a decade I had spent every waking moment super obsessed with my band and my CDs and my recording and my my friends and my fans and when I left I hurt so many people. Mm -hmm. There are people till this day who won't speak to me, like completely Mm -hmm. cut me out of their lives. And so that was like a very hard decision. And it wasn't that the other side was clear. It was just one side was not the right path. The other side was open to a new reality. And I very much felt guided that that was the right thing for me. It felt like I had my own personal exodus moment.
0: Wow. So you closed the door on a decade of your life on a specific dream that you had and you felt guided. So what did you go on to do
1: next? I didn't end up in India, but I did end up in Jerusalem. And like I mentioned before, I really didn't see myself as any sort of an intellectual, but I didn't even read. Like my teenage years was mostly video games and guitars. And so I came and it was the first time that I wasn't in school because I had to be in school. I wanted to learn about life. I wanted to see. What there was and it was spiritual it was open-minded it was deep it was powerful i really inspired by it so the, cu- the culminating of these three elements all at the same time led me to a yeshiva and then i fell in love with this thing called torah there's so much wisdom here and there's so much truth and so much of it resonated with all the parts of my being i kind of closed my eyes to the outside world and said, I'm going to do a nosedive into this reality. For six years, I didn't even look up other than I started dating and I met my wife. That's when I picked my head up from the book after about five and a half years of really immersed in daily study, prayer, meditation, lots of just trying to understand life. And it was an awesome ride and still is. Wow. Yeah. Well, about a year or two after I got married, went through... My own kind of breakdown to breakthrough experience, having children, some of the most gratifying elements of my entire reality. And at the same time, I don't think I was prepared to be a father mentally and emotionally, it like it threw me. But for me, I I went through a dark period for a couple of years where I was all day involved in study. I would go out and I would teach and then I'd come back and I'd feel some version of a depression, I'd feel like a failure, I'd feel guilt. And I don't even know why I went through like a challenging time. And then because of that darkness, it sent me in a new direction of conversation of spiritual teaching as it relates to human consciousness, day to day presence and connection and energy. So that opened up a whole world of Torah that I wasn't involved in deeply until this point.
0: I hadn't heard that part of your story, and if you're okay with it, I'm interested to pause here and delve into that a little bit more. I've had so many mental health challenges, and I can see in my own life how they've been very instructive for me and even motivating for me as difficult and challenging as they were. And I'm curious to hear more from you if that's a similar experience and how that changed your trajectory.
1: I appreciate the sensitivity and the moment that stands out brightest is there was one Friday night we were having dinner, my wife and I, and the kids were asleep. And I remember looking at the wall of books that I had and it was this overwhelming moment. And I started crying and I didn't even know what happened. It wasn't a thought. Everything at once came crashing. I didn't know why I was feeling that way. I didn't have words yet to understand. And then at some point I, I kind of picked up my head and I looked at my wife and I'm like, you know, I've been here for six years or seven years and I've always been very intuitive and spiritually connected. And I said, I feel further today from who I am and from God than I did when I was in a rock band and I don't know why that is. And I was overwhelmed by my kids, and I was overwhelmed by my study, and I was overwhelmed by my teaching, and I was overwhelmed by this need to be a good husband and this need to be a good father. And there was all this perfectionism that was latent inside of me that started bubbling up and coming to the surface the more responsibility showed up in my life. Those first five or six years, it was just go and study and pray, and it was a spiritual high. And then your feet hit the ground, and so you're taking care of people in your home and people in your community. And there's a lot going on and there's tremendous amount of expectation and responsibility. I didn't know I had all these parts under me that were trying to keep the world up for my default is I'm going to make things safe for others.
0: Mm. Um, And there was
1: a part of me that got pushed down like in a deep way.
0: Wow. I think for our listeners who may not be familiar with traditional Judaism and Jerusalem, to me, it sounds like 180, that here you were young and single and traveling in the world of rock and roll and freedom and this culture where there are really no rules. And then you're transported into the world of Orthodox, strict Orthodox Judaism, where there are dress codes and rules for almost every single thing that we do. And there you were with responsibilities with kids and, and, and living in this foreign country and you had these perfectionistic tendencies and it sounds like a lot.
1: It was a lot. It was extremely overwhelming. When you're in the darkness, it's just dark, right? You don't, you have all the right ideas in your head, but until they're translated into your conscious awareness, so they're just ideas in your head. They're what you want to be true, but they're not how you experience the truth of reality. Um, and so that sent me on like a deeper path, like a deeper dive and a deeper path trying to get to the depth of understanding the metaphysics of reality, the metaphysical aspect of ourselves, and then how that related to modern psychology and new age spirituality and see what's the language that we use today. We've been humans for a long time. And so we've been trying to work this out, right? All of religion and spirituality is trying about unlocking the human experience and so it was a great and exciting time once I was able to come to that place, coupled with a lot of support from my wife, great therapists, great, great mentors and people surrounding me in my life. Those couple years really opened things up and then not long after that.
0: So this was over the period of a few years where you were sorting things out, making this next transition, the help of your wife and a therapist and going through a process.
1: Yeah, yeah, completely. This was not, you know, oh, I woke up. I had an epiphany and now I know what the next step is. I look at it as I've had three real awakening moments in my life. Like going from the band to yeshiva was awakening number one. And then at some point during this darkness, I came out the other side with like a second level. I woke up and I've been in Israel for 10 years and I, I had all this access to this amazing wisdom, plus my own personal transformation that I've had. But still my my idea of what life was gonna look like for me, I, I kind of thought that I was gonna be teaching small rooms of 15, 20 people at a time. Didn't know that I was gonna be writing the types of books that I'm writing now. That wasn't the plan. I mean, it was the plan, but it wasn't my plan.
0: You weren't conscious um, of that plan yet.
1: That's right. What had happened was I think one of the main shifting moments was I went back to LA. It's a little after 10 years after I had left it. And my intentions on going back was try to make peace and resolution with my band members who were kind of like my brothers, right, when I had left. Mm -hmm. And that was a disaster. I either couldn't reach people or people ghosted me, not responding to me, messages, emails, whatever it was.
0: But you went back and you made your
1: effort. I did, and there, there were a couple conversations that happened during that trip, which were, although rather challenging and painful, were very liberating. And when I came back, it almost felt like I had a, a new lease on life. Like you know, when you go and you try to make amends with with people and try to come to peace, um, there's a certain self forgiveness that happens there also because you've done your side, and I'm sure there's still work to do. But at the time, I really felt clear, and Two weeks later or three weeks later, there was this really big opening that happened in my life because I had walked through this fear of, you know, if you're a perfectionist on any level, so you really care about how people look at you. So especially people close to you. So I just went through the experience of realizing, oh, so that's what happens when the closest people in your life all hate you, right? That's what I just, Mm -hmm. like I went back and I felt, oh, it's 10 years later and the cut still felt as real as yesterday. And so I went through.
0: That sounds really painful. And I see that as Our biggest fear which is isolation and isolation is death that is a really really challenging space to be in
1: yes it was painful but it allowed for a certain kind of ego death right meaning the more you need from the world to validate your existence the less you really exist really just an extension of the world and what they think of you and what the world perceives of you But the less you need that, the more you can surrender that and let go of that and truly embody yourself and all that you are. So the more the light of who you are begins to shine because it's not there. So you have to let the shell of who you are die to let the truth of who you are live. And going through that experience was an element of that kind of ego death where that falls away. And so much started to come through all what I felt those five, six years prior where I felt disconnected. It started flooding in really fast, a lot of creativity and flow and intuition and synchronicity and coincidences and miracles and manifesting and all the big stuff that it was like, oh, right, that's what it's all been about. When you step into that and you can really let go, it was an extremely liberating um, freedom experience. This and that is was-
0: powerful. So we all want this. I'm going to ask you a few more questions about what happened. So essentially you went back and you were going to make amends with your band members and You had been cut off by them. You had been isolated by them. When someone is isolated, it is as though they experience death. If someone in primitive time were to be isolated from a community, that would mean death. And somehow in our makeup, we experience a huge fear surrounding isolation. I speak with so many women, especially who are afraid of success or afraid of failure, one way or the other, because they do not want to be isolated. Right. And what I heard you say is that somehow by letting go of that, you did something, you let go, you made peace, and that opened you up to this whole new spiritual plane.
1: I mean, the first step was actually leaving, right? So I don't know if the situation i was in was toxic but for what i wanted in my life you could consider that it was and i had to actually get up and walk away from the situation so i wasn't looking at the isolation in that first step i was just walking towards the light of what i thought would be a better reality but then at some point when i looked back it took 10 or 12 years before i went back to try to go and and fix that and that was because there were some people in my life who gave me that advice which i'm not sure was the right advice. When I look at it today, I don't know if 10 years was the right amount of time, I would have gone back sooner. But either way, when I did go back, and you face that, and things are not better, things were even worse, there were lies that were made, there were there was stories and fabrications about my existence that I had to find out about when I got back. So when you go through the pain, but there's no resistance to it, you just allow it to be. You say like, look, I'm just here here to take my, take care of my side of the street. <laughs> and that's going to be a painful thing. And there are people who are going to think things about you. And I didn't leave with the intention to hurt anybody. I did it with the intention to take care of myself. So none of it was with ill will. So when you know that, then you accept the fact that there were innocent bystanders of your decision. And you accept the pain. Something happens when you go through that.
0: When you look back, would you say that it was forgiveness? It was you making amends? How do you encapsulate that experience of what you did?
1: I see it as I went to make amends and and I was looking for forgiveness, not for the decision, but for the pain my decision caused. Meaning what I, when I met with my one of my best friend's mother and we sat down and she was very angry at what I had done and she certainly let me know her feelings about my decision. And I said, well, look, I came to try to make amends. She said, you know, you can't just come and make an apology. I think she got the, the impression that I was coming to say sorry for leaving. And I said, you know, I didn't come to apologize for what I did. My decision was the best decision I ever made in my life. I came to apologize for the pain that was caused by a decision that might've felt selfish to others, but it was still the right decision. So
0: wise and that's so powerful. You apologize not for what you had done, but for the pain that you had
1: caused. Yeah, I mean, the decision was right. It It was the right thing to do. Sometimes you have to do the right thing for you And other people aren't going to be happy about it. And you can say, I love you. And I empathize with the pain you're experiencing through this. And if you don't like me because of that, I accept that. And you have the right to feel however you want to feel about me. I still have to make the right decision for me.
0: Mm. Wow, it's powerful. So would you say that after having done that, do you think that's what propelled you into this new spiritual place?
1: Well, I think what had happened was that once I came back and processed all of that, I did have one of those clarity moments throughout my life. I've felt certain moments where it's clear that's like that next step. Like there was that one moment where I knew I had to leave the band and go to yeshiva. There was the moment where I knew that the person I was dating was my wife. There was the moment where I knew I had to do whatever it is, the next point in the step. I had one of those moments. I was sitting journaling on a bench somewhere and became very clear. It was like a crystal moment. I know exactly where I was. I know what I was looking at. And it was like the snap of a moment of, oh. I, I'm supposed to share this with the world. There's a lot of people who probably want to hear this and want access to the wisdom that is written in ancient Aramaic and in Hebrew and, and cloaked in ancient mysticism, which is not just smart, but it's helpful, right? It's, yes. these, aren't, these aren't just big ideas, but they're these, these are meant to be lived and experienced. And literally the next week um, I sat down and I wrote some vision of, I want to write this book. And I wanted to affect a lot of people and have positive impact. In November 1st, I sat down and I wrote for a month straight. And at the end of that month, I had written a book that was exactly like this, trying to bridge the concepts and ideas in the world of Talmud and Medrash and Chumash, all the elements of Torah and bridge that through the lens of Hasidus and Machshava, which are the more metaphysical, spiritual, energetic elements of Torah with the modern language. That we would use today to to help people, and that was the first major step. Was sitting down and writing this book.
0: Mm-hmm. So then you created this book. You built this bridge so that you could bring those deep spiritual ideas to a wider audience. And and you've gone on, Moshe, to write your book, which we definitely want to hear about. And your book has been a bestseller. You were on the Wall Street Journal bestseller list, and you've gone on to speak at TED and you have spoken around the world. So how did you create all of that success, because it's one thing to sit and write a book and try to share it, but your book has reached a really wide audience, and I'd love to hear more about that process.
1: Well, you know, it's funny, you said you created all the success. I do wanna say my firm belief is we don't create as much as we co-create and we're, we're part of the process, but the more you're open Absolutely. to the flow from above and you'll, you're willing to do the work from below, right? You You meet in the middle. This whole experience, these last couple years, so this is now three years ago, and really all the years before, they're all an extension of that first question, which is what is success? Mm. What what really is success and not success in action, but a success in human experience and in life and in living and what is life about? And so when I finished writing the book, I really wanted to present, okay, this is now the answer to that question that led me on this journey a decade before. And so, and then Corona came, right? So COVID, COVID broke out and between that was November, COVID is in February. So over those couple months in between, that's when I started doing some research into, well, how do you get a book published and how do you get this stuff out? And the world closed down right as I got this picture of what needed to take place.
0: Everything changed.
1: So everything (laughs) changed like dramatically and fast. And also the energy of the book didn't feel appropriate for a world that was now feeling extreme anxiety, lots of sadness, lots of isolation and loneliness. This was a more high vibrational like exciting, happy, joyous book about personal transformation and that's one element of spiritual reality, but it felt like the world needed something else at the time. And so what I did was I wrote a different book. So the, Ah, so
0: your the the book it's all the same to me, the book that is you
1: is the second book.
0: It's actually your second book.
1: Yes. So I wrote, it's all the same to me during the first six weeks of COVID, because I felt like the, the the world needed a different message, needed something else to help people in the here now, which was how do you, how do you stay afloat in when reality looks chaotic? How do you find order in the chaos? How do you stay knowing when there's a world of doubt? How do you stay loving when there's so much fear? There was a lot of that, that Needed and important at the time. So now, to answer your question directly, how do you, how do you go from now? I just wrote a book to bringing that out in the world,
0: right? Because we have so many listeners who have incredible ideas. Some of our listeners have even started to write those ideas or have written books. And I would love to see as many of our listeners have the success with their books that you've had with yours.
1: Yeah, as would I. By the way, every everybody who wants it should have it. If you have something good to offer the world, we want you to succeed. Yeah. So I think the first, like the first thing is positive, 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 positive. I, I think it's both a natural inclination as well as the gift of the nurture that I had really both my parents lived with a lot of positivity. And so the idea that I could do something that, that's the starting point. I think that for everybody who's listening, if you have an idea and you want to do something, you got to really, really know that you can. It's not like a belief that maybe you get like, you can do this. I, like, that's got to be the set point. And once that's the set point, so then things start to unfold. Because if you doubt even your ability before it gets going, you can do everything that someone tells you to do, but you don't believe in it enough. If you don't really know that it's possible, which it really has to be a knowing, not just like a, a flimsy almost belief in maybe this can happen, but like, I know I can do this. Or at least you have to say, I really want to know I can do this, that you have to know what you know and own it. Like, what do you know and own that that's true and try to be- I know consistent.
0: what I know. I know what I want and I'm capable and willing to learn whatever I need to do to get there.
1: Yeah. 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 Then I d- did what hopefully anybody will do, which is use the University of YouTube. Anything that you're looking to achieve. Someone has probably done it first and made a video about it and has listed out all the steps ahead, which if you're listening to this, that means that you're doing that right now to some degree, you're listening to people to try to get that information. But that's what I did. I enlisted myself in that YouTube schooling and I spent in the beginning three to four hours a day, which was an absurd amount of time. For someone like myself who like, I didn't even have a a smartphone three years ago. I did not have any social media until three years ago. Nothing, no, no Facebook, no Instagram, no YouTube, no LinkedIn, no nothing. And I wanted to figure out, well, how do I bring this message to the world? And thank God we have Google and YouTube. That is an incredible resource, like just an incredible resource. It's there. So I just started typing in, how, how do you get a book deal? And then it gives you all the different reasons. Should I get a book deal? What what is self-publishing? I've never heard of self-publishing before. Now I'm hearing all this new language. What is self-publishing? How does that work, right? Is there something in between self-publishing and a publishing deal, right? Oh, you need an agent. What is an agent? How does agency work, right? How do you so, get an agent? So you did all this
0: work and this research, and then was what, at, at what point did you, did you start the process? What process did you, and then commit to and go through in your book journey?
1: So practically what I found was number one, the very first thing that you see everywhere is you have to have a platform. You just, you just need to have a platform. So that's getting yourself up on, on social media or having a newsletter or both the the more you can do the better, but certainly find yourself in a place where you can start giving over your message before you've tried to put out a product. It's really give, 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 right? 90, 10 is how I'm always thinking about it, which is. But you're giving. I I want to give you more than I've ever asked. I want to give you nine life-changing pieces of information before I even thought about asking for your email. Right. So before you start collecting followers and email addresses and all these things that are you want to turn into business, you're it's always focused, which I'm here to help you. I'm not here to look good. I'm not here to sound smart. I'm here to be helpful. So but how can I
0: showed up. you showed up online, you showed up on social media suddenly you're on social media for the first time. I remember you were making videos. We made a video together in that beginning stage and Mm -hmm. you interviewed a ton of people, you showed up, you started creating content.
1: So I did so much that failed in the process, which were all successes because they were really part of the road to getting to where it was. Like some videos were getting thousands of views and some videos would get 10 and it didn't matter. You have to create and try and explore and find your place where it's like, this is where the message gets across the clearest and the loudest. Personally with it's all the same to me. I decided to self-publish. I thought it was the more effective way of getting to the most people the quickest. When you go with a regular publishing house, it's minimum 12 to 18 months from when you sign the contract to when the book comes out into the world. If you self-publish, it can come out immediately. Getting a publishing deal requires going through an agent I didn't have an agent. And getting an agent could take anywhere from six months. It's not a given that you'll even get agency. So I didn't want to wait. I wanted the book to come out. And I knew that if we did well with the book, so it'd be easier to then subsequently get to an agent and then get to a publishing house and reach a broader audience. Um, so it was self-published. And then it was, OK, well, what's the best strategy to get this into as many hands as possible? So well, a lot of people a lot of people ask me, how do you make a bestsellers list? Right, That's a really big one. How do you get on a list? So there are four lists that are really possible to a self-published author. If you want to go the publishing road, it's a different conversation. I'm happy to have it with people. But you've got Amazon, right? Bestsellers. You've got Barnes & Noble bestseller. And then you've got USA Today and The Wall Street Journal. I do not believe you can make it on the New York Times list as a self-published author, but I'd be glad to hear otherwise. And if anybody knows and wants to let me know of a self-published author that got their book there, that'd be interesting to me. Well, So each one has their own kind of entry point in terms of how you make their lists. Amazon and Barnes & Noble are, are a bit easier. You can kind of sub... Category and get into a certain niche market, and you can sell a smaller amount of books to make it onto those lists. The bigger lists, you had to sell thousands and thousands of copies. That's the only way to get on these lists because it's your book against the rest of America, it's the entire US. And how they do it is it's a weekly list. So they look at the numbers of how many books are sold in a single week, right? And, and that's true every week. So USA Today and the Wall Street Journal put out a new list every week. I think when I did the research, minimum, you had to have sold 5,000 to 7,000 copies in a singular week to make that happen. So I was trying to figure out, okay, how's this even humanly possible? Like, even if you've got a huge social media following, that's a lot of books. Right. So... There's, there are two elements that I found to be really, really helpful. Number one is if it's just a calling card or you're just trying to get the message out, so then this doesn't apply. But if making it to one of these lists are important, which I, for me, it was important because I know that there's just so much noise in the world. So even if you have a great message, it's hard for people to hear it. It's, you to find a way.
0: It's it's important in the regard that most people will see that and they will perceive credibility and they will be much more open to learning from you and to reading your book and to valuing your book even if it's a sad thing that most people need that credibility, we know social proof and credibility
1: means something to most people. Yeah, yeah, it it does something. And it certainly amplifies your capacity to deliver your message. And for me, that was important. Now, no, no outcomes are yours, and all outcomes are good. So I'm not I wasn't too concerned, but I did what I would do with anything, which is I, I had my goals clear. I wrote them down, I had them on my vision board and in my journal, and I, I printed out fake cover of the book with Deepak Chopra's name on it before I had gotten his endorsement. And I put printed out a picture of my, my book on the Wall Street Journal bestsellers list before it had made the list. Meaning, like I did a lot of things mentally to prepare and kind of be in that space you and man- it was fun. You manifested
0: Deepak on your cover and I'm your conversation you. with it, him. It, and it was
1: so fun. It. Oh my gosh so fun so fun! you just gotta have fun that's a big part of it like don't let it get overly serious like have fun in the process and. wow. Um, anyway, the pre sale is really important your pre order campaign is important because I didn't know this. The you you get seven days to sell a certain amount of books, if you want to make a best sellers list, but if you're your very first week all the pre orders count towards week one. So that's your, instead of seven days, you can get 97 days. If you have a three month oh, on
0: Amazon, you have 90 days of pre-order and everything you sell in that time. So if you sell 5,090 days, it goes to week one and then you hit the bestseller
1: target. Yes. Okay. So that was, that was a second strategy that was employed. And then the third one was, even if you're looking to make um, a financial return on your book, which if you're putting out a book, hopefully you're not trying to make money from it. Certainly not initially. It's just that, that you'll probably be let down. We'll focus on the message first. But I felt that if we priced it low enough in the beginning, it would sell more copies. We could always raise the price later. So during the pre-order and the week of, it was at a much discounted rate, right? So it was it was more easily accessible to people to purchase right away. And then-
0: makes so much sense.
1: Yeah. So yeah, those three things, to-
0: your bestseller status is going to be worth so much more long term, right. make it work in the beginning. That's really smart.
1: Yeah. And then I did a lot of advertising, you know, advertising on Amazon, Amazon advertising and BookBub. Anybody who's trying to launch a book, they should be aware of BookBub, B-O-O-K-B-U-B. It's, a, it's an incredible site to advertise new books for authors that are independent. I found it to be super helpful. I reached thousands of people through their platform alone.
0: Incredible.
1: Uh, and the, Yeah. And then afterwards, then you wait, then you wait to find out, because even if you've sold all the books, you don't know if you've made the list. <laughs> so then you wait, you find out. And that was a wonderful experience. So uh, and sweet. then for anybody that this is a serious consideration for, it's it's an amazing thing because instead of your book sitting on a on a shelf with 2 million other eBooks that Amazon has. There are are people who are going to be interested in what you have to say. It doesn't mean they won't if you don't make it on the list, right? So that's really important. Just because you're not on the list doesn't mean people won't be interested. There are other ways to get there and and to promote it. But if you do, it's an amazing thing. It opens up a lot of doors. I found things streamlined a lot easier afterwards.
0: That's so exciting. Well, I can already tell that we're going to need to do part two of this episode or another episode soon because we didn't even get to the TED Talk or your messaging and you've managed to take Torah wisdom and really, really bring it to the masses. So I wanna make sure that our listeners, before we wrap this episode up, know where to reach you, where to find your book. And I know you also have some new things coming out too. Do you wanna share with us?
1: Uh, Sure, thanks, I appreciate that. Well, I mean, I'm on on most of the social media networks. So Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, I'm active on, on most of them, probably most active on Instagram. What's your uh, name on
0: Instagram?
1: Everything's at Moshe Gerst. Okay. M-O-S-H-E,
0: M-O-S-H-E-G-E-R-S-H-T.
1: Yeah. And uh, you can go to the website, www.moshegerst.com. All of this you, will be in the show
0: notes.
1: Great. And oh, and there, there's, I think there's access to the opening chapters of It's All the Same to Me that's free that you can get over there. There's access to the new online course that was launched a couple months ago. And there'll be all the information on the new book, which I'm excited about, which comes out at the end of the year in November. Work the dates? November 7th.
0: November 7th. All right. That's so exciting. Yeah. What's the new book going to be about?
1: The new book is called The Three Conditions, How Intention, Joy, and Certainty Will Supercharge Your Life. And it is the first book that I wrote in this part of the story. So people will be able to see what came first.
0: All right. We finally made it post-COVID. We're ready for the joyful book. Yeah. I'm excited for it. Well, Moshe, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been um, such, such a privilege.
1: Okay. The pleasure is mine always, and wishing you and everybody who's listening lots of blessing.
0: Thank you. All right. Here are my takeaways from the episode. Number one, find what you're passionate about and dive in. Number two, when you need to make a decision in life, look at the possible outcomes, get clear, and pursue your dream. Number three, Out of darkness comes light. Everyone struggles and there is always hope. Number four, forgiveness. You can apologize to people for the pain that you've caused them even if you've made a decision that is the right one for you. And number five, when you're pursuing a goal that's creative or in business, find out what you need to make your dream a reality. Learn it and believe that it's possible. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for being here. If you enjoyed this episode, share it with a friend and don't forget to enter the big giveaway by clicking the link in the show notes to connect with Moshe, our guest, or to connect with me. You can also check out the show notes and be in touch. Thanks so much for being here and we'll see you next week.